0: Welcome to the Cultivate Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The Letter to the Church of Smyrna Smyrna was a city of about 100,000 when John wrote the letter. Close to Ephesus, Smyrna was a very wealthy city that took great pride in its wealth and beauty. It was a scene of science and medicine, a cultural centre, the birthplace of Homer. A major export for Smyrna was the spice myrrh used in the preparation of bodies. It was in Smyrna the cult of Roma first began in around 195 BC, indicating how aligned the city was with Rome. It is here in the city of science and medicine that made so much of its wealth around preparation for death that Jesus identifies himself as the first and the last who was dead but is now alive. Jesus wants the readers to know that his claim is much more than overcoming death. He is all that God can be. The phrase Alpha and Omega was to identify the completeness of all God can be. Jesus truly is the completeness of all God is, for in him dwell the fullness of the Godhead. In this letter, as the others, Jesus connects his title with the church's reward. He is everything God can be, and they, through him, will die, but then live forever. We forget that these letters were not just a systematic set of categories, but Jesus pouring out his love. And with any love letter, it starts with his pledge of undying love and ends with his pledge of eternal love. Make no mistake, this is a love letter. I know about your suffering and poverty, but you are rich. These were people who, because they did not declare Caesar as Lord, were penalized with financial sanctions. In a city that was rich, but so strongly aligned to Rome, they had become poor because they would not move from their testimony that Jesus is Lord. We can live in poverty and still thrive in spiritual riches, but to be spiritually poor is to live without redemption or hope beyond luxury. When we are facing difficult times, it is often our temptation to explore ways to build up our resources. We see poverty as our enemy, not spiritual riches as our goal. Sadly, many people are driven by what they see as overcoming the enemy, poverty, not chasing their goal, spiritual riches. If you had to pick one, which one is it that you? think you're chasing now? Are you worried about poverty or are you focused on spiritual riches? The church faces the Jews, the synagogue of Satan. This is not some cult. The word Satan is a word meaning enemy. Satan is so called because he is our enemy. Peter's is also called Satan, not because he's demonic, but because he tries to dissuade Jesus from what he must do and so Jesus calls Peter his enemy in Matthew 16 23. Just to be clear, while I mention that passage, in the previous verses Jesus uses a play on words about Peter being a rock, Petros, stone or boulder, but the church being built on a rock, Petra, a large mass of rock. The church is built not on Peter. The rock is the truth that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. Eh, Sorry, I I digress. Research indicates that early Christians were not anti-Semitic. Yes, they had their differences. They didn't hate each other. There's a great dissertation on this by S. Mark of Western Michigan University. It's called Christian Attitudes Towards the Jews in the Earliest Centuries AD. It's a great read, but as persecution began to bite, conflict began. We saw this to a lesser extent in Ephesus, but here it is much more pronounced. Here there is not a sense of us and them, of losing the love they first had for each other, but outright hostility by the Jews. To be Jewish is to be the light to the Gentiles, according to Isaiah forty-nine six. Being Jewish wasn't about being picked by God as if you'd won the lottery. It was about being picked to be his witness, just as we are. Being Jewish should not be about shawls and chauffeurs any more than Christianity should be about music and ministry. To follow God is to be a light to the world. When we're not focused on what we should be doing, we become consumed with all the wrong things fighting amongst ourselves is a sure sign we're not being light. The church was about to face persecution and what John could not know was that Polycarp, his disciple, would be burned at the stake. Polycarp was a bishop or the overseer of the church in Smyrna, and sometime around, it must be at 160-ish, was martyred for his faith. It's a story of faith and testimony that in the midst of tragedy speaks hope. What the 10 days refers to, I really don't know. Is it a reference to 10 being the number of completeness? Completeness, I don't know. The sad thing is that some things that do make sense to the people at one point in time can be lost and not easily recovered. But if you are faithful, even when facing death, I will give you a crown of life. We see faithful in a passive way. He was a faithful dog, she was a faithful wife, they were a faithful employee. It's a compliment, but a word that we see is synonymous with loyal a loyal spouse, a loyal employee. However, what Jesus is saying here was more than just loyalty. The word in ancient Greek is pistos, the same word that we translate as believe and trust. Loyalty is great, but if it's not coupled with trust, it is not faithfulness. Loyalty is being one tracked; It is great, but it's not enough. Faithfulness has an attitude of trust, a dimension of faith. Being loyal in marriage is sticking by your spouse regardless of temptation. Faithfulness in marriage is sticking by your spouse regardless of temptation and having faith for them and yourself that God will complete his good work in both of you. If you are not believing for change, you can be loyal, just not faithful. Jesus calls us to be loyal and faithful even in the face of death. Polycarp exemplified this when he faced his death. This is how it reads according to uh, Don Graves in the Christian History Institute about Polycarp. The governor asks him to deny Christ and promises that if he will, his life will be spared. But the faithful Bishop Polycarp answers, "Fourscore and six years have I served him and he has never done me injury. How, then, can I blaspheme my King and Saviour? When Polycarp rejects further pressures to deny Jesus and save himself, the governor threatens to burn him. Polycarp turns the tables and warns him of eternal fire. The governor ignores the warning and orders the execution to proceed. The soldiers prepare to nail Polycarp to the stake, but he assures them the nails won't be needed so he is and instead. The fire is lit. The flames rise around him. But what is this? The fire parts around Polycarp. It is as if the flames avoid him. Eyewitnesses will claim that his body glowed like gold in the fire. Finally, a soldier whose usual task is to put wounded animals out of their misery executes the bishop with a sword. The good old man is dead, an inspiration to others who will perish in similar circumstances for centuries to come. What is the crown of life that is promised? Smyrna was a city that loved crowns. They even had them on their coins and they were popular with residents. Even the Acropolis was considered the crown of Smyrna, the way the building built around Mount Pagnos. Crowns were a sign of prestige, a status symbol of their time. A crown of flowers was worn during religious symbols, and then crowns were worn to identify your status, be they bronze, silver, or gold. The followers of Jesus would not wear crowns of flowers at religious festivals, nor, as poor people, would they have crowns of precious metal. But Jesus would give them an eternal crown. They would not hold status as the crowns of Smyrna, but would represent that they were faithful and they had been given eternal life. The crown is not only offered to the followers of Jesus in Smyrna, but to us. James 1.12 reads, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. What sort of status symbol do you most desire? Crowns of silver or gold? Or a crown of life? Silver and gold are evidence of privilege. The crown of life is proof of your faithfulness. When the scriptures say, Let him hear who has ears. It is saying to obey. The Jews didn't have separate words for hear and obey, just shema. Meaning, here. Implicit in the word here is the requirement to obey. God bless you as you hear and obey whatever God tells you. You may just win a crown. Thank you for joining the Cultivate Podcast. If we can help you with anything or you'd like some notes, please email us at crosscultivationgmail.com. God bless.